Great to see you all tonight. Thanks for making it out. Any cheers for good weather? Anybody? Yeah, raise the roof, people. Yeah, it's so good <laughs> to feel that warm air and the sunshine and, um, and pour-overs. Uh, <laughs> Clay is pointing towards the pour-over table. Who knows what a pour-over is? Who's who, coffee lover goes into Starbucks? It makes everybody wait in line a little longer while you ask for that pour-over. But um, so uh, yeah, there's pour-overs tonight over here. Have we done that yet, Christy? Or are we just is that for after? It's available now. So yeah, right when Clay starts teaching, everybody get up and go over there and <laughs> get a pour over. <laughs> we have our priorities, right? Um, I, I believe it's caffeinated tonight as well, right? So for those of you that aren't troubled at all by caffeine late in the day, help yourself. The rest of us will fast uh, and start in the morning. But yeah, they want to start some pour overs and try that tonight for uh, if you want a cup of coffee. So. Uh, feel free to get that, and we have a few of our students kind of heading up that table there. So participate if you're so inclined, and of course we'll have our great Sarah refreshments and all that, and her helpers that prepare all that after the, the message tonight. few announcements to make you aware of. Um, can you help me out there? Let's see, I think I might have it. Maybe. Oh, Ooh. Hey, hello. Ah, maybe we don't have, maybe you could find that in the slide deck there. Uh, no pressure, John. Uh, <laughs> my reminders of what the announcements are is when I see them on the slides, but <clears throat> let me see if I can remember some of them as John and Bailey look for them. Okay, you're testing my memory. The first one was, yes, that's it, of course. That's what I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> It is an opportunity to serve uh, in the area of painting. Um, we have a Sunday school room. Mark Henry told us about this. There's a Sunday school room that needs painting in the old building, the brick building over there, down the basement, you know, in the dungeons of our uh, ministry center over there. And um, yeah, where all our children hang out and do ministry and that. And one of the rooms need a few walls. Uh, painted and you know talking to pastor matt today they also need some trim done as well we're looking for three to five people uh, to do that that's this saturday at, at one and if you're interested in doing that please sign up here tonight it'd be great to get you on here uh, put your contact information as well and when you arrive at 1 p.m in the brick at the brick building over there pastor matt will be there to give you instructions and show you how to make a big mess, okay? So, uh, hey, a lot of you guys have really helped with projects like that over the months here this year, and what a blessing that's been to our fellowship, just to knock projects out and with your guys' uh, energy and, and, uh, and, and the time you make for that. So this is a great opportunity to do that. It works for CSER hours as well, uh, if you need some of that. And um, anyway, sign up for that after Boundless here if you're, if you're interested. New members class is coming up. Some of you guys have been asking about that. Perhaps you've been already a member, maybe baptized already, um, and you're catching up to this because maybe you've missed it before when it was offered, or you've never attended one. You want to find out more about Timberlake or you're interested in membership. It is a requirement for membership. 
And we always remind you guys, for, especially for students or those that aren't uh, permanently living here or don't plan to, uh, you can do a watch care membership where you can keep your membership if, at home, your home church if you want to do that. And then you kind of have that dual citizenship going where you can be a watch care here. And most of our, our students or transients do it that way. But that's Saturday, April 10th. Uh, 8.45 to 12, it's in the ministry center here. If you're interested in doing that, we'll just start doing the, the sign-ups right here, okay? So you can do that after, um, after Boundless. Uh, also, just remind those, again, those that need to get to the new member class retroactively, you're a member, it's one of those things to catch up on. Um, so try to get to that date. If it doesn't work out, we'll keep, we'll keep doing them, but try to get to this next one if you can. Uh, oh yeah, this is this is tough. I know it's um, you know if I took a poll, what's the worst day of the year? It's this one for young people like yourselves. Um, yeah, wow, I'm gonna lose an hour. That's just like my life just flashed before my eyes. But um, you know, with the fall, it's pretty cool, right? An extra hour, woohoo! And then you lose an hour. It's like oh, I, sorry to push you into dismal dismay uh, all of a sudden this evening, but, but that is coming up here. So just a kind of reminder, yeah, if you're kind of thinking that way, plan ahead because that phone's gonna go off. It, it takes care of itself, right? And you'll be a little more tired dragging in here, but uh, we're looking forward to Sunday and we're just gonna lose that hour before we all, we all get here. So Boundless Brew Crew, you're probably gonna have a lot of coffee takers on uh, Sunday and we're looking forward Looking forward to that. Great to see your faces, our regular folks, and it's great to see a lot of new faces too. Welcome to Boundless. Thanks for joining us tonight, and I hope you get a lot out of the Word uh, as it's taught. And we just, you know, why are we here? We're, we're here to hear from God, right? We want to hear about each other and how we're doing, but there's nothing about hearing from God. And how do we hear from God? It's from His Word, right? He has spoken. He has um, uh, communicated His will and. He's communicated who he is. He's communicated his expectations. He's communicated those things that separate us from him. He's communicated those things that, that lead to perfect fellowship and reconciliation and eternal life. Wow, we, we serve a great God, don't we? And we get to hear from him tonight when Clay brings the word to us. So uh, that's a great thing. If you need a little pick-me-up, go get a pour-over, and we'll enjoy uh, the message tonight as we hear from Clay after we do some singing first. All right? Please stand and sing. Lord, I lift your name on high. 
She's like this. No, I won't. Well, thanks, thanks, music team. Um, who knows the motions of that? Who was doing the motions out there while you were singing it? Okay. All right, guys, come up. All right, band, we're going to come up and do this. People who know the motions, you're going to come up and do them for... You thought I was serious maybe there for a second? All right, next week. Okay, we got to do it. Get some interpretive dance going on in here. <laughs> you guys are like, what is he saying? He never, he never does this before his messages. All right, well, it is good to be back. Um, why don't we just begin uh, in prayer before the Lord and uh, ask him to, to work tonight through the, the preaching of his word. Father, we're humbled. We're humbled to be here tonight. We know what we deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal judgment from you for, um, for our sin. We loved sin at one point in our lives. We loved rebellion against you, even if that was just inward and never really fully manifested itself outwardly. And yet, in the midst of that, in the midst of that treason, um, you came and rescued us. Your son poured out, or your, you poured out all your wrath on your son, and you earned the righteousness that uh, we so desperately need. And even when we did not know we needed it, you came to us, and you opened our eyes, and you humbled us, you, you helped us see um, that we were running from you, and that the only option is to turn, return to you. And so we're just profoundly thankful tonight that um, we have been reconciled, as Rich was saying, we've been reconciled to you, that we know you, and we want to know you more, uh, we want to hear from you tonight, we want to hear from your word, and Lord, we're in a section where you're, you're teaching us about the family and about marriage and parenting and, and all those things, and just help us to see um, how all this connects to knowing you. And we pray that you would bless the, the teaching of your word. We pray that you would open our hearts tonight to receive it. And um, you just bring clarity. That's our, that's our prayer. Thank you for the fruit that you've been producing in my heart and the lives of, of, our, of our people. We pray for more. 
We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, it's good to be back and uh, back in the book of Ephesians. So you can go and go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know we've been in this letter for quite some time now. I've, I've lost count of actually how long it's been. Although I'm, I think I'm on message number 35. So that's uh, exciting. And uh, we've been in this section of Ephesians in, in chapter 6. We transitioned to chapter 6 last week. If you haven't been with us, we've been studying through this book for, for quite some time. And we've been in a series on marriage and the family, like I, I even mentioned in my prayer. And we know, just as we step back in the whole book of Ephesians, we, just a reminder of how it's laid out. So Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus, and the, the first three chapters, Paul wants to lay a foundation for this church. And really, you could summarize those first three chapters as Paul, Paul wants to remind this church, convince this church, teach this church about the greatness of their salvation, what they've received in Christ, that it surpasses their wildest imaginations. That God chose them before the foundation of time to be incorporated into Christ, chapter 1. He came to them when they were dead in their sins. He made them alive together with Christ, chapter 2. He reconciled them to each other and to the Jews, the believing Jews, in chapter 2, and made them part of his new temple where his spirit now dwells on earth. And this is just an incredible realities in the first three chapters. And Paul knows if we get it, if if God answers the prayers that Paul himself prays in the first part of Ephesians, that our eyes will be opened to this glory. And it will change the way we live. And that, the way we live then, how we should live as a result of this, is, is the back half of Ephesians. The, the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are really beginning to apply these truths, these realities about who we are in Christ and who we are as the new creation. And you could say it like this, uh, in Christ, we've been recreated, we've been resurrected and recreated as, as God's new humanity now on earth. Imperfect, yes, but we have His Spirit. And we can begin this new life in Christ um, with hope of transformation, of real change, because we have His Spirit. And that's what the, the, the last half of, of Ephesians is about. It's about how to, how to live this new creation, how to begin to, to put on the characteristics of people that will in, inherit the new heavens and the new earth. And he talks about in chapters 4 and 5 just how this should manifest in the church. So as we assemble week in and week out together what this should look like, we've used the word body life a lot. It just The relationships within the church should be characterized by the truth, uh, by forgiveness, by humility, uh, and all kinds of things we've seen in, the, in those chapters. But Paul doesn't stop there. He pushes the body life experience, if you will, all the way into the home. So what should the home look like? How should these individual cells of the church corporately, i.e. the home, how should those homes function? How should they be arranged and ordered? And we realize that, as we saw in the context, that this is a big deal to the Apostle Paul. And it's a big deal because the Spirit manifests His presence in the church and in the homes as these relationships are working out. So we've looked at, we've looked at how wives and husbands should relate in the, first part of, in, the, in the last half of chapter 5. Last week we looked at how children should relate to their parents in chapter 6, 1 through 3. And tonight 
we're going to look at how fathers should relate to their children. And we've seen again and again, as the title of our slide implies, that, that this is everything we're, we're finding here in the, in the family and the household and how the household should be ordered and, and run is a reversal of the curse from Genesis 3. So now in Christ, by His Spirit, we have the power, ability to begin to reverse what happened in Genesis 3 through Christ. Reverse the curse, and that has implications all the way into the home. And so tonight we're going to look at the reversal of the curse, or redeeming the curse, um, in the spiritual nurture of the fathers. So fathers' role in the home, and particularly with the kids. Now, I know you're thinking, well, this is college ministry, and how is this relevant to me? Um, well, it should be obvious, but I really in, in two, two domains, okay? So we're going to look at this. It's applied to fathers, but we're going to see that these instructions, at least most of them, are relevant to both parents. So if you have aspirations for marriage or a family, maybe you're engaged, uh, maybe you, you, you hope for these things, obviously you want to dial in here. But beyond that, maybe you have the gift of singleness and you don't ever see yourself having a family. These principles are going to be true for you. We're going to see you have the same heart, uh, and your heart does things, and so these principles are going to be helpful for you. But even beyond that, I think as, as, you, as we preach through this and you hear about what fathers are supposed to be doing for their kids, you're going to automatically be thinking about your own upbringing, your own experience, your own guidance from your parents. And so I hope that this text helps bring some clarity here, and we'll begin to, and we'll work through that at the end of our, at the end of our message, just some of those implications of how should we think about our own fathers and their successes or failures um, in these areas. So tonight, what we're going to look, what we're going to look at is, uh, <clears throat> what I'm just calling three parenting principles from Paul's instructions to dads. Three parenting principles from Paul's instructions to dads. And uh, if you're already there in Ephesians 6, we'll take a look at this text together. Let's uh, go ahead and read it. We'll pick it up in in, uh, verse 1 with the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're looking at three parenting principles from Paul's instructions to dads. And our first principle is taken from Paul's address to the fathers. You should have noticed that. Notice who he addresses here. He's talking to dads. And maybe that's not interesting to you, but it was interesting to me um, as, I was in this, as I was in this passage, and I've been thinking about Paul's instructions to families. And I, did you wonder while you were reading this, why didn't, he, why didn't he address both parents? Did you ask that question? Maybe not. Maybe I'm weird. Okay? Ask that question. Why just dads? Now, some have argued that this word father can be used in contexts that imply both parents. And that's true. There's definitely, there's definitely examples of that in Greek literature where that word is used for both, both fathers and mothers. Kind of like the collective word man, you know, like as in mankind, can refer to both genders. But I don't think that's what Paul's doing here. Why do I, why do I think he's not doing that? Well, because in the previous verses, 
He just used the word parents. So he's clearly got that in his arsenal. Look here in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. It's a different word. This is right. And then look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother. So he's explicit here about the need for, for kids to obey and honor their, their both parents. But now, in, chap, in verse 4, he switches to fathers. So why is that? Well, he's singling out dads in particular in these instructions because it, it, it really gets at the heart of our first principle. Um, hmm. That was an old PowerPoint there. It's not right, so we're going to have to and have to track with me here. I guess my computer didn't save and upload it to my OneDrive account. All right? So, first principle, you have to listen in. That dads bear primary responsibility for the home. Okay? First principle. Dads bear primary responsibility in the home. And Paul wants us to see that. Dads bear primary responsibility for the home. If you miss that, just ask me and I'll, I'll get you my notes. <clears throat> Before we really unpack this principle, uh, let me clarify what, what Paul doesn't mean here. He's not saying, by singling out dads, he's not saying that mothers aren't involved or they're unimportant, obviously. In fact, they're very involved, uh, typically more involved in the life of the children than the dad. And that's not a bad thing. That's how God designed it. And no doubt Paul would affirm this, because like we saw just a few verses ago, children were commanded to obey both parents, not just their dads. Verse 1, and to honor both father and mother. Again, not just dads. So that, that implies then, follow me, if the child's to obey his, and honor his mother, it means that the mother's involved in his upbringing. The mother's instructing and disciplining, encouraging, so she's in it all, and she's to be obeyed as a result. And so even if we left Ephesians kind of on the back burner for a minute, we panned out to all of Paul's letters, we would see that, that Paul clearly puts faithfully raising children as one of the primary tasks of a mother. That is one of her fundamental tasks. She, too, is called to, quote, bring up children, like we see here in our text. Bring them up, 1 Timothy 5.10 as well as manage her home in 1 Timothy 5.14. So my point is it's not just the dads. And Paul himself would acknowledge that if he were here. It's very clearly the mother's job too, and she often does most of it according to the rest of Scripture. So why are fathers only addressed here? Well, like I said, Paul wants to underscore that fathers bear primary responsibility for the household and in particular, note this, in particular, for the spiritual growth of his kids. That's what this is all about. It's the spiritual growth of his children. We saw a few weeks ago that the man as husband, okay, not father, but as husband, has an incredible responsibility to lead in this loving, nurturing care for his wife. Remember that? Incredible responsibility. Now, here we see that the man as father has another weight, as if that wasn't enough, right? He has another weight on his shoulders, and that is the development of his children spiritually. And think about this, guys. As the head of the household, 
Dads have so much influence. And the sad part is, they don't often recognize it. They don't often recognize how much influence they have by default. And whether they recognize it or not, guess what? It's there. He's always influencing. Always. It's either for good, for Christ, for the kingdom, or it's for evil. And there is no neutrality. Even a passive dad is is influencing his family, isn't he? In the wrong kinds of ways. It's just not towards zealous devotion to Christ. Dads are tasked by God here in this text to, to set the tone of the home. To set the pace for the family. They're created. They're created to be out in front. To be leading everyone under His care toward knowing and trusting and obeying Christ. That is the call of a spiritual father. And this initial principle convicts us as fathers, doesn't it? Any of you fathers in the room who are automatically kind of assessing our own fatherhood. But it it, it convicts us and it convicts you guys that you would be fathers. Because Paul will not allow us to think, ah, the kids are a woman's job. Right? Right? He won't allow us to go there. My wife spends all day with the kids, way more than me, so she's going to take care of teaching them about Christ and disciplining them, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to go to the kids anyway. I support the family in my work, my job, my role as a provider, breadwinner, you know, whatever. No, Paul's not going to let us go there, and that's why he singles out the dads and says, Dads, this is your responsibility. This ultimately falls on your shoulders. He won't let us fall prey to that kind of passivity when it comes to our children. So if you want to be a dad, take note of this. This has got to be convictional for you. You don't get to just kind of tote around this this head of household title, kind of like a, a pompous king, you know, expecting everybody to obey you. No, that's not that's not what he's saying here. To be the leader, to be the head of home comes with a burden. It comes with a responsibility, a glad burden a glad responsibility to be invested in the life of your children. And that's because ultimately is the one who bears the primary responsibility for your family. You will give an account to the one who ultimately gave you that responsibility, who is Christ himself. So what does it look like for dad to, to bear this kind of responsibility in a way that honors Christ? Well, Paul is going to... Uh, get to that in the back half of this verse. But before he does that, he, he tells dads what they should avoid doing. So like maybe the wrong way to approach this stewardship. And he says, look in our text. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't do that. Don't provoke them to anger. But instead, you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, so don't. There's a negative to avoid. And that brings us to our second parenting principle. Whoa. You guys editing that back there, or what's going on? Yeah? Oh, cool. Miracles. Great. Principle number two, dads will be tempted to provoke their kids. You have to acknowledge that. Dads and Christian dads. 
will be tempted to provoke their kids. So he tells you to avoid that, would-be fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. So that means any command, remember, in Scripture, there's a commentary on our hearts, or else there would be no command, right? We wouldn't need to avoid that thing if we were automatically we're going to avoid it in our hearts. We're going to be tempting for us. So we need to know that we're going to be tempted to provoke kids. And this is equally relevant not just to dads, but to both parents. But dads, again, are singled out here. So we need to unpack this a bit. What does it mean to, to provoke to anger? What is, that, what is that getting at? Well, it means that both parents, and dads in particular, can, can parent in such a way that, that tempts the kids to become angry and to sin as a result. This phrase of provoking to anger, uh, if, you just, if you search that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, this is the phrase that described what Israel did to the Lord by her persistent idolatry over time. So it wasn't just like one instance, it was a, it was a pattern. And the Lord's mercy kind of ran out. His patience ran out and it, he was provoked to anger. That's this exact phrase in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But here, in our text, Paul's saying that dads can do this by their sinful parenting over time. In other words, they can act and speak in ways that tempt their children toward resentment, toward anger, toward embitterment, toward discouragement. Dads have a very real temptation of doing that. And it's so sad, so sad to see a child or even a young adult that has lost heart because of the, the provocation of a parent. And it happens. Now, this isn't to say, and I don't think Paul would say that, that a dad is the fundamental cause of the child's anger. Okay? Making a distinction here. I don't think, I don't think Paul would say that the dad is, is the cause, the fundamental cause of, a, of their child's anger. Now, believe it or not, okay, you ready for this? Kids are sinful. All by themselves. Those cute little kids are depraved. And they act out their depravity on a moment-by-moment basis at times. If you don't believe that, uh, just come to my house. Our kids don't need any provocation to be angry. The Bible says that we're all, not just kids, but we're all responsible for our own sin. Right? So, he made me angry. Well, no. He provoked you, but you got angry. You chose to respond in anger. You say, well, okay. Well, that's not how it felt. Well, okay. Well, the Bible says it. So we've got to jettison our feelings, right? And just think about Christ. When Christ was squeezed by his circumstances, what, what came out? Righteousness, holiness. So circumstances can't be the cause of anything. They can provoke. They can pressure. And that's what this text says, provoking to anger. But they can't be the cause. So Children are fundamentally responsible for their sin. But Paul says here, his point is that dads specifically can add fuel to an already burning fire and cause it to burn even hotter. That's the idea. Okay. Illustration. Kind of funny. I'll go ahead and say it. When I was dumb, we used to build bonfires 
and throw kerosene in the bonfire and jump through it like an idiot. Yeah. If you're running fast enough, you're not, you're not going to catch on fire. So that was the thrill. But this is not in my notes. Okay, it's a warning. A dad's, a dad's provocation of a kid is like taking that kerosene and like dousing it on the fire. And the explosion happened. The fire's already burning, but the dad fueled those flames. He poured the, he poured the, the gas, not gas, don't pour gas on, on a fire. That'd be really bad. Bad explosion. Got a story about that too. Okay, so learn that the hard way. I'm a bit of a pyro. But the dad, seriously though, the dad has this temptation that he can, he can pour kerosene on a fire and cause the fire of sin and anger to burn even hotter. Parents can and sadly do often provoke their children to anger. And that is a weighty thing. All jokes aside, that is a weighty thing. As a parent, it's, it's a sobering reality that I can do things that make it much more difficult for my own kids to be obedient to what Paul just said to them. I can act in ways and speak in ways and sometimes do do those things that tempt my children to resent me and not just me, but the Lord who put me in this position to begin with. And it's all by how I parent them. To say it differently, to use different biblical language for this, we parents can be guilty of what Jesus says of, of causing our little ones, our children, to, to stumble. And that's a sobering thought that needs to catch the attention of every parent or would-be parent, that we have this propensity um, in us, this temptation to provoke our kids. So this begs the question then, right, how does this happen? Well, that's easy. Sin in the parent. Okay? Sin in the parent. That's how this happens. We provoke our kids when we're selfish, proud, and ignoring what God has called us to. It happens when we're more driven by our own pleasures and selfish desires than what's best for our kids and most glorifying to God. You say, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that. But what does it look like in real time? Like, how does this, how does this manifest itself? Sadly, there's a lot of common ways that, that this happens, even in the church. Things we see as we're shepherding folks so uh, let me just list out a few of these uh, for us here. All right, number one, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a, a surefire way to tempt children to be angry. Just think about this. When you experience hypocrisy, even outside the home, doesn't that tempt you to be sinfully angry? The boss who doesn't live by the exacting rules he holds you to, Frustrating, right? The politician who locks his state down and mandates to the hilt, and then it's like, you find the picture the next day, and they're just like parading around at the five-star restaurant with no masks on. It's just, I mean, you're in that lockdown state, it's like, what is going on? I mean, we are very tempted to be sinfully angry by that blatant hypocrisy. And if it's hard outside the home, on occasions where we face it, imagine it being day in and day out inside the home. It's very tempting for, for kids. Dads often don't practice what they preach. And it's so easy and subtle. It isn't like some problem way out there. 
The other day, I found myself getting angry at one of my children for getting angry. You say it like that, and you're like, what, a, what, a, what an idiot, you know? But literally, I'm getting angry because my kid is getting angry, and I'm telling him not to be angry while I'm angry. I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how blinding this can be, guys. And it took me a while to see it. Now, will even a faithful dad sin against his child and, and fail to live up to the standards of Christ? Yes, he will. That's not necessarily hypocrisy. Hypocrisy sets in, okay, get it, when his sin goes unacknowledged. When he ignores it. When his wrongdoing is never or rarely admitted. When forgiveness is never asked for in humility from dad to kid. And that kind of hypocrisy will quickly tempt a child to anger and exasperation. So we're not talking perfection. We're talking about honesty, confession, humility. Next, sinful speech also tempts children to anger. And really, any form of speech that's forbidden in the Bible, forbidden in Scripture... Over a, over a period of time, okay, will prove to be an incredible temptation for a child to resent their parent. When a dad tears down by constant scolding, when he finds fault with every little thing that his kid does, when it's impossible to please him, when he seldom praises or encourages, or worse, he mocks and insults his kids, you can be sure that there will be repercussions in the lives of those kids. Sinful speech is another incredible temptation for children to become angry, resentful, and embittered. Another one is is sinful discipline. Sinful discipline. As we're going to see in just a moment, disciplining your child toward godliness is very good and appropriate. But obviously, wrong and sinful approaches to discipline will also provoke a child to anger. If the parent disciplines when they're angry, bad. They're flying off the handle, dragging the kid and throwing him around in the name of discipline. This will obviously prove to be a very alluring temptation for the child to be angry. Even being inconsistent in discipline. One day they get a spanking for whining, then the next few days it goes unnoticed, and then all of a sudden, wham, you spank him again for whining. That's often going to provoke a kid because they don't know what to expect. And they perceive that they're being treated unfairly as a result of a moving standard. And of course, being excessive in discipline is the obvious one, or or abusing the child is horrific and provokes the child toward resentment. So sinful discipline is a big one. Overprotection is another one. It doesn't seem as sinister, but it is. As a child develops into a older child, and then a young adult, and the parent smothers them and and hinders their maturation. This is what I mean by by overprotection. They think they need to protect their children from every little thing, that they need to continue making all their decisions, even as they grow up. They can't be entrusted with anything serious. This kind of helicopter parenting often claims to be for the protection of the child. That's what they will say. 
trying to protect our kid, but it's often motivated by some self-interest of the parent. And instead of actually protecting the child, which they say is their goal, it has the opposite effect. It causes withdrawal of the child, and it ends up tempting the child to just get out of there in anger, to just rid themselves of this overprotection, of this oppression. Dads are going to be tempted to provoke their kids with unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Sadly, sometimes parents set unreachable goals for their children that are utterly unrealistic. I talked to a girl several, several months ago that, that had experienced this. I was kind of coming out of that, processing through that. And I've heard heart-wrenching stories of children committing suicide because they could never live up to their parents' expectations and constant criticism. It's so sad. Challenging your kids to grow, taking risks for the glory of God, moving beyond their comforts for their own good, that's all noble. We should be doing that as parents, okay? We've got to be pushing our kids, helping them grow. But, but there's a difference between that and, and constantly pushing children beyond what they're capable of. And often we find parents are trying to live like vicariously through those kids to accomplish things they never were able to do, they always wanted to do. And often those are little idols in their hearts. And they're using their children to, to get their fulfillment. And it will provoke children to anger. And finally, this is an obvious one, but neglect. Parental neglect. When a dad neglects his kids over time, it is hard to recover them. Not impossible, but it's hard. There are some obvious examples of neglect, like the parent ignores their child, they don't pay attention to them, they don't take an interest in them or the things that interest their own child. But there's also some subtle forms of it too, like when parents treat their children as an intrusion to their otherwise happy lives. When they make them feel unwanted by the things they say, as though they're in the way of the things they really want. These are forms of neglect, too. And when the kids are neglected, they're going to be tempted toward all kinds of things, including being provoked to anger. That was just a smattering. Okay? My research this week, there's like, I read one book, there's 25 ways that dads provoke their kids to anger. Okay? So I just gave you the highlights. I synthesized some of them, brought them together. But the point is there's, there's that's an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long list. There's lots of ways because we sin in lots of ways. So you're thinking about that, and then depending on, there's probably, your mind's going a lot of areas, okay? But if we're just looking at that and we're thinking about our own hearts and our, our propensities, that can be really discouraging. So what do we do about it now? What do you do about it now? If you want to prepare for that, to, to avoid that then, well, the number one detriment, the number one thing that, that, that really is, is underneath all of this, we alluded to it a minute ago, is a parent's unwillingness to humbly admit sin to their children and repent of it. That's at the root. Because there's going to be sin in the, in the family. The dad's going to sin. But the root is his unwillingness, pride, 
thinks he's macho, wants to lead the family, feels like it's a degradation of his leadership to humble himself to go to his kids, whatever those things are, that is the issue. His unwillingness to humbly admit sin to his child and repent of it. And I think that failure is what leads to long-term, repetitive, hypocritical sin. And, and that, more than anything else, is what's exasperating for kids. So, those of you non-parents, ask yourself right now, are you sensitive to sin now? Do you repent of it when you're convicted? Or do you push back against conviction and correction? Are you pliable under the word, or do you stiffen your neck when it comes against you? So let me press on a little bit more here. When was the last time you humbled yourself and sought someone's forgiveness for sin? When was the last time you said, I was wrong? Will you forgive me? These are all signs of humility. And a humble parent will be constantly looking to own sin and repent of it before the children in the home. And it's not easy. Okay? <laughs> when it happens in my life, humbling myself and asking for my kids' forgiveness is the last thing I want to do. Because it's just, it's humbling. They're unbelievers. They're going to take advantage of that. They're going to throw it back in my face. Yes, yes, yes. And that's good for my humility. I've sinned against them, and the Lord expects me to, to rectify that, humble myself, and, and go to them. And that, I think, is motivating to know that is preventative for some of these long-term uh, provocations to anger. <laughs> Just the other day, Mary and I laughed about this because there are certain words that, you know, our kids are very little. And there are certain words that, you know, we say, but we don't want them to say, so we're having to, like, reform our vocabulary. Words like, dang it. <laughs> so we'll be on the other side of the house, you know, trying to get your shirts in the drawer, and it jams up. Dang it. Can I say it to yourself? And then you hear Eleanor. She's two. Don't say dang it. <laughs> it's always... Heads drop. That was wrong of daddy, wrong of mommy. Will you forgive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there's a lot coming for you. So just humble yourself now so you'll be ready to receive it then. Humility is a great way to influence your future children away from resentment and anger. It's a great way to model the gospel. It's a great way to, to model your own dependency on the mercy of Christ. Humble confession and repentance and dependence on Christ is life-giving in the home. Joy flows. Peace flows. Everything works. It's like the oil of the engine. And without it, everything gets jammed up. So, these temptations are alluring. It's easy. Paul knows that we're going to struggle with this as dads. And, and, and we've got to know that we're going to be tempted to act in ways that provoke our kids to anger. And we've got to know that so we'll be motivated to deal with it and to avoid it. But that's not all Paul says in this text. He doesn't leave us with the negative. Dads and would-be dads and even mothers and would-be mothers as well are, are called to positively pursue something else. And that leads us to our third principle. Dads must learn to nourish their kids with truth. 
dads must learn what it means to nourish his children with truth. Look again here in, in verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, here's the positive, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads must learn to nourish their kids with truth. Now, why do I say it that way? Nourish. Well, the way the ESV translates this verb, bring them up, uh, is the verb nourish. It's what he just used um, in previous context. So what does this, what does this word mean? Well, like I said, it might ring a bell for you if, we, if you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks because Paul used it earlier for what? Yell it out. Husbands and wives, okay? Husbands are called to nourish their wife, like they nourish themselves, their own body. Remember that back in verse, chapter 5, verse 29? It's the same verb. He was telling husbands that they need to care for their wives like they care for themselves, and like Christ cares for his own body, by providing nourishment. And it means that dads are, are to provide what is necessary for growth and development. That's the idea. Because when you're nourished... It's like nourished unto what end? For growth, development. You eat food, you're nourished, you can grow. Hopefully not this way, but, you know, in the right ways. And here, Paul uses this same verb to refer to how dads should raise their kids. Okay? Not just bring them up, but dads are to nourish their kids. So what does this involve? Well, well, nourishment, certainly at its baseline level, includes physical support, Right? I need to feed my kids, make sure they stay alive. And sometimes we're happy when we succeed in keeping them alive on a day-to-day basis. That was a joke. Okay. But in this context, I don't think that's Paul's primary thrust. I think it's included, but I don't think it's his primary thrust. I think he's saying dads are to provide the right growing conditions for his children spiritually. Spiritually. So do you see that in, in the instructions? Uh, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, about the Lord, from the Lord, meaning Christ, the Messiah. And obviously that's what what Paul says here in the the verse. Notice at how this nourishment, this bringing up is is supposed to happen. It's supposed to bring them up in in, in two twin ways, in discipline and instruction of, of the Lord. You can think about these, discipline and instruction is the, in this text at least, is the two ingredients to nourishment. Two ingredients to the, nur- the nurturing process of a father. And like I said, I don't know, I didn't peruse all the translations, but the ESV translates the first word as discipline, and the second word is instruction. So raise another question, right? So what, what do these words mean? And what's involved in this? Well, these two terms are very similar in their usages in the Bible. So they're kind of synonymous, you know, so it kind of makes it hard to pin down. Um, particularly, like, if there's nuances in this passage. But the nice thing is, is that both words share the range of meaning, the same range of meaning. And there's really two primary ranges of their meaning. In some contexts, they refer positively to instruction or training. 
Okay, so like positive sense of instruction or training. And the idea in, in that sense is that truth about Christ is articulated to the child so that the child comes to fear and trust and obey Christ, like that. The dad is called to teach the child about Christ and his ways, helping the child learn to come up under his God-given authority as dad. And if you want just like a helpful expose on this, Proverbs 1 through 9, you can write that down, is, is a king, but a dad, instructing future kings, his sons, in the ways of the Lord. And that's just a great just example of, of a dad appealing and the ways he appeals and, and the ways he teaches. It's just so helpful. I mean, his, these are like young adults that he's talking to, mind you, um, but still helpful to see how he is instructing and training his own, his own sons. And this kind of instruction and training, it's proactive, okay? It's not, just, it's not merely reactive. That's, that's good if we're reacting to sin, we're reacting to issues, and we're training and instructing our kids, but this is proactive. This is seeking to implant in the child's heart and mind the truth of God, and so help him or her to dispel the lies that he's prone to believe. What it looks like to actually trust God in these moments. And so that's the first way these terms are used. It's sort of instruction, training. And then this, there's a second way, though, that these terms are used, and it refers to sort of the backside of this uh, as warnings, discipline, and even to remedial punishment. And just sadly, because we're sinners, we need to be taught that sin is evil, and it always leads to pain. Always leads to pain. Every time. We have to be taught that. Because we love sin. And as a result, we need to teach this to our kids as well, who come out of the womb as unbelievers, dead in their transgressions and sins, totally in love with it. So it is naive and a denial of Scripture to think you're going to be able to parent your child without disciplining them. So Paul tells Dads not to be shy to warn their children to bring remedial discipline when necessary. The child has to learn, they have to learn, that sinful behavior has negative consequences, and this kind of discipline reinforces those realities, those biblical realities. But it's also redemptive. Discipline is also redemptive and restorative. Pastor Brian also when he says discipline, he says discipline. That's kind of how he says it. I mean, it's, it's restorative. That's the root of that word. Its end goal mirrors God's end goal of his discipline of us as his children. Remember what it says in Hebrews 12? He says, although the, the discipline, God's discipline of us is painful in the moment, that its end, its goal, is the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. The same thing is true for our, the discipline of our own children. When God disciplines us, it evidences that He loves us and is training us. Not the opposite, that He doesn't. If we, were, if we had no discipline, it would evidence that we're not loved by God, that we're not His sons, because He will, He's committed to us to train us. That's Hebrews 12. And that's why the Proverbs can then say, when they're talking about human parenting, and it seems harsh to our sort of millennial ears, but listen to this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Hates him. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. 
Proverbs 13, 24. So if I don't discipline my child, it proves that I really don't love them. I actually hate them. And then again, Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and the reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. See, somebody that's running wild, you know, in sin and rebellion, you have to ask the question, not what was done to the child, but what wasn't. What was, what was, was that child left to himself, herself? Without discipline, without reproof, without restraint? Proverbs 29, 15. And that's the reality of the, of the situation we're in. That's what depravity means, is that that's the flow of, of our hearts. We need this corrective. And it's a both and, right? I mean, it's, and it's, it's instruction, and then when necessary, discipline. And always with the goal of restoring the child to the family, to the relationships, and to ultimately to God. Now, we're looking at this text, and I think it's important to ask the question, what does this directive then imply? Okay, if we're looking at all three of these principles, dad's got a responsibility for the home, he's going to be tempted in one way, but he's got to nourish his kids with truth. Well, I think it implies something very obvious that Paul would definitely agree with, that the dad himself is striving to live these things out. Okay? Not perfectly, but I think it implies the dad himself is striving to live these things out. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This really simplifies our parenting. You know, you can like read all the parenting books and kind of get overwhelmed by all that. And there's definitely helpful information in those books. I'm not saying don't read them. But this simplifies it. Okay? Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You, talking to the adults and the parents in the room, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, teach them to your kids? Not yet. What does it say? These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Then, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. What's the priority? The parent's heart. So that means then, if we if we if that's old covenant, let's contextualize, okay, in the new covenant. So old covenant, they've just been redeemed from Israel by God's mercy, or by, from Egypt by God's mercy. Now God is coming to them in covenant and is saying, Okay, this is what it means to be my people. I've loved you, now you have to love me in return as a faithful son. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I'm going to give you my law, my ways to live, so I can live among you, regulate my presence. So, these statutes got to be in you, and then you got to dispense these to your kids. So, the point I'm, I'm saying here, okay, New Covenant, we have been redeemed by Christ. That's a greater, the second exodus has happened, and we have experienced our redemption in Him. 
So we've got to know that. We've got to know all about that. So we can dispense that to our kids. What is that second exodus? What is the cross? What is the significance of that? The implications for my life. Because that, then, my experience of the love of Christ, for me, then generates my love for Him. Right? This Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We love God because why? He first loved us. That's the first three chapters of Ephesians, by the way, of how deep and wide this love is for us. So that we respond to God with love, and then we begin to internalize His commands, His ways, the second half of the book of Ephesians. So these words need to be on our hearts as the parent. So the dad, in this case, this, all this instruction implies that the dad himself is striving imperfectly to live these things out. And as he does that, as he does the hard work of, of trusting Christ, of repenting, of rooting out idolatry in his own life, and getting logs out of his eyes so he can see the specks to help other people, he's going to get a lot of clarity, a lot of patience, a lot of tenderness with his own kids. He's going to be able to help them see what's going on in their hearts, help them trace things back. Why? Because he has insight. Because he's done it for himself. And he knows where to go. He knows what passages to go to. He's not out in the dark somewhere because he's, he's, he's been run through by the Lord and come out on the other side. And so that's very important that we, that we hammer that down. The dads and moms have to, have to be striving to live these things out themselves. And if it's on your heart, guess what's going to happen? Guess what comes out of your heart? What's in your heart, right? So that's why I say it simplifies the parenting process. Because it's not in you, it's not going to come out. And by the way, parenting is like 90% of what you model. Okay? And that's just who you are. You might be like, whoa. <laughs> that's it. I mean, there's instruction, there's teaching, but it's a lot of who you are. Coming out, day in and day out in the home, and that's exactly where he goes here. You shall teach them diligently to your children. There's the proactive side. And you shall talk of them, look at these dynamics. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, on your gates. What's he saying? He's saying you should teach them in every setting. Meaning you can't, you can't run to your devotional and like be, be trying to figure out what your devotional says to be able to bring something to your... It's got to be in you. So that when that situation happens and they just punch their sister right in the face, you can bring instruction in that moment. When you sit down, when you rise. So again, I'm saying it just simplifies the parenting process. And we call this around here teaching in the milieu of life. Often when the best lessons are learned, right? Is, is in, in the midst of things as they're happening. And that's really what Deuteronomy is getting at. So that's a bit of methodology doesn't mean you don't have formal times with your kids and formal times with your family and family worship and however you want to work that out. All the text says here is to teach them diligently. Diligently. Be at it. Be proactive in how you instruct and, and, and shepherd your kids. So, how can you prepare for this? You're like, we don't have kids, Clay. You're teaching them about parenting. We don't even, we're not even married yet. All right, how can you prepare? Do you want to prepare for this? This learning to instruct, we've already said, it's got to be in your heart. Check. All right. That's a way to prepare. But beyond that, you ready for this? Anybody know where I'm going? Children's ministry. Yeah. Matt can pay me later for this. I'm serious. If you want to learn how to bring truth down 
two children. Serve them in the church. And it's hard. I did it for years, okay? Years. While everybody was worshiping in here and listening to music and hearing sermons, we were back there in the, for years in children's church. I'm trying to teach these kids. And it was crazy, okay? And I was inexperienced. But it was so helpful for me to learn how to bring truth down, simplify, get in their lives, understand what the issues are. Um, as a single person, that's what I was doing. So, don't question Pastor Brian's wisdom on that. Okay? Probably wasn't the best fit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know really much of anything back in those days. Still don't know a whole lot, but I know a little bit more. But it was a great experience, and I would encourage you to do the same and avail yourself of that. We've got a much better, more mature children's ministry now with Pastor Matt over it. Um, and so he could plug you in there. So there's lots we can say about that, but I'm serious. That's a great application. Also, think through, in the church, befriending couples that have kids. Think about befriending couples that have kids and offer to help them and just get in their lives. If you're not, like, I don't have any kids around me. I don't have college students. Like, meet someone. <laughs> the people that look overwhelmed on Sunday, go find them and say, can I help you? When I look overwhelmed, come find me and say, can I help you with your kids? I'm just kidding. Um, we have lots of people helping us, so I'm very thankful for that. But the, the point is not just to, I'm not just trying to, like, get parents free help, Okay. The point, although that is beneficial, um, the point is that you get to learn, you get to observe. So as you're just kind of around them, you get to hear how that mom talks to their kid. You get to hear how we fail. You get to see us repent. So there's, there's, there's a lot that you'll learn just by proxy if you befriend, start befriending people that are outside of your, outside of your friend group. And just begin to just, an easy way to, to get involved is just to, to try to find ways to be proactive and help them. But then what you're doing, you're sort of secretly getting in there so you can learn. They don't have to know that, but you can know that. And just in all this, let's just keep in mind, okay, that, that we are still learning to imitate our Lord in this. It's not in our text, but I just kind of want to bring this step back for a second. We talked about this last week, but it's just it's worth repeating. Children felt at home around Christ. It's incredible. They felt at home around him. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. This is holy, holy, holy. This is seraphim covering their faces. Children felt at home around the Lord Jesus. They wanted to be with him. And he gladly received them and taught them. And I, I think... It was his humility. Think about Christ being humble. <laughs> That's incredible. It's, I think it was his humility, his lowliness that was attractional to them. He noticed them, he listened to them, and he loved them. And all of this, we're ultimately, like, like Ephesians says in Ephesians 5, we are learning to be imitators of God, imitators of our Lord Jesus, even in how dads tenderly care for and nurture, nourish their own children. Now, as we've worked through this text tonight, uh, we're going to end here. You, no doubt, have been thinking about your own dads, right? I would assume so, as we work through a text like this. 
And that, that's, that's going to that's evoke a wide range of emotions. For some of you, it's encouraging and you're humbled by the godly influence you've received from your dad. He wasn't perfect by any stretch, but he was faithful. He was humble. He did the things wrong. He repented when he was wrong. And so you should rejoice for this incredible mercy. That is an incredible, incredible mercy in your life. Don't take it for granted. Call your dad tonight and thank him for his investment in your life. I know so many in this very room that long to have had what you had. Like with tears across my desk in counseling, wishing for something different than what they experienced. I have to help people work through years of abuse or neglect or those things we saw above. But that's God's story for them, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. But for you, he has given you a faithful dad. And you should be profoundly thankful for that influence. And you should also not just be thankful, but you should be humbled to think about the legacy that's been passed down to you when you deserved none of it. None of it. You deserved hell. And he placed you in a, a home, a Christian home, with a faithful dad. What a privilege. Let that humble you. And finally, let that motivate you to be zealous to take the baton from him, whether dad or mom, and pass that down to the next generation. Take it further. Grow in Christ in ways that they, they, they set you up to do. Now, now take it further than they, than they could go. And then pass that baton down by God's grace to your own kids or your spiritual children in the church as you're discipling them. Not some of you. For others, a message like this may be incredibly painful. Maybe painful for different reasons. Maybe your dad's no longer here. Or maybe your dad or mom have intensely provoked you to anger. You may still be angry right now. And that's hard. I'm not just going to jump in and tell you, yeah, you should do this X, Y, and Z. Like, that's, just, that's tough. Okay? Hear me say that. That's not, there's no easy answers for you. There are answers, but they're not easy. Situational abuse, neglect, abandonment. And I know you've experienced that, some of you in here, because we've talked about those. You've told me about your upbringing, and it's, it's difficult. But I, I, want to, I want to bring some truths to you right now. I want you to, to work hard at entrusting your upbringing to the Lord. To the sovereign God, to the good God who loves you. And hear me, he chose this path for you. When we get to the kingdom, we won't question the path that he took us to get us there. We won't. We'll thank him with tears of humility and gladness because we're going to realize that we have exper- we're, we're experiencing the very opposite of what we deserve. But, but think about this. If you're tempted, okay, in this situation to, to, to doubt the Lord, he may have asked you to go through that but he did not spare his own son in order to redeem you. 
and he will one day freely give you all things. Your difficult upbringing is something the Lord will use, he's promised, to bring about good and blessing and great glory in your life and in people that he uses, lives of, of those that he, uh, the ways he uses you and the lives of others around you. But you have to trust him now. You have to entrust that to him. You're not ruined. You're not irreparably damaged. Your family's not going to be marred and scarred for generations to come. You are a new creature in Christ, and God himself will teach you what it means to be a faithful and humble dad or mom. Okay? And that's because you have a new dad. You have a new father in Christ. No matter your earthly father, you now have a perfect heavenly father who cares for you, He's your perfect model as a parent. My dad didn't have a dad. And he loved me so well. Christ can turn it around. He can model for you what it means to to love like he loves in the context of a family. And even beyond that, Man, you may not have a biological dad who's currently involved in your life or nurturing you, but it doesn't mean you can't have a spiritual father right here in this church that can nurture you, can help you. If you think, oh, God, he's just spiritualizing things. Not according to Paul. In 1 Timothy 1, he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith, my son in the faith. What are you talking about there? Spiritual son. Paul visualized his relationship to Timothy as a dad. He was not biologically related to Timothy. He snagged Timothy when Timothy was in his probably like late 20s. And he calls him his dad. Spiritual father. And Paul wasn't just, Paul wasn't just dishing this out. At the end of Romans, in Romans 16, Paul receives spiritual encouragement from an older woman. He says in, in Romans 16, 13, Greet Rufus, the chosen of the Lord, and also, listen, his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Paul received mothering from a woman in the church that was not his biological mother. So my point is that just because you don't have what you had desired, what's ideal in your scenario, it doesn't mean you can't have a spiritual father, a spiritual mother right here in this church that can help you Grow in Christ. And we're going to work to make that happen. Okay? So if that's you, you want that, come talk to us. We're trying to, <laughs> we're trying to make that happen. And just, I want to end here. By God's grace, if you have children in the future, and this is you, and you're in this category of, like, bad upbringing, you can stop the bad legacy. Christ can stop it and redirect the legacy in a different direction through you and through your faithfulness. You can reverse the tide through the Spirit's power, and you can bring redemptive influence into your home as a faithful father, a faithful mother. It's the hope we have in Him. Let's pray. Father, you're perfect, Father, to us. We're thankful 
And I, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts tonight as we think about the family. And uh, as, we, as we tie this up tonight, I pray that um, if there's any, any questions or anything that's unsettled or, or things that are, you're unsure about, people need to work through um, being angry uh, about, about ways that they've been uh, hurt or any of, these, any of these lists. Lord, that you would help us do that. You would restore um, relationships. We didn't even talk about what forgiveness looks like in these contexts the dangers of bitterness um, in the child. Uh, but Lord, I, I pray that um, you would just bring those things to the surface and you would help us to work through them. Lord, give us joy as we, uh, as we know Christ and thank you for the fellowship that we're going to experience in just a minute. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you're dismissed. There's some food and snacks and